0: Hi, if you will please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm Samuel. I'm with the uh, Bozier Green Acres Village MC. That's right. (laughs) Strong representation in here. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord... He is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Seated. We'll dismiss our uh, school-age kids to the back. And as they're heading back that direction, let me invite the rest of you to turn with us to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be today. But before we get into this, uh, I do have an important update for our faith family. I was going to give this last week, but we had so many things going on. Um, As you know, uh, we've been a mobile church for 12 years. That's 12 years, almost 13, of setting up, tearing down... Uh, literally, give it up for our cargo team who gets here at 7. I literally thought we were going to be a mobile church for our entirety um, because I, I like uh, the fact that um, every week we're reminded that the building is not the actual church. It's the people that fill the space. So we're reminded when we come in here every week um, that we're in a gymnasium and they play basketball and eat luncheon here the rest of the week. Um, But during COVID, uh, we kind of had a little shift that we realized that um, we were spending a lot of money on repairing cases and replacing equipment like a lot of money. Some years over $100,000 in a year just repairing things. It is really hard on things to set up and tear down. And so we started praying, Lord, maybe you would have a space for us. And we started praying that. And at our 10-year anniversary, which uh, was almost three years ago, we threw that in front of you. Like one of our goals in the next 10 um, is that we would find us a space. And quickly we found land, and we purchased that land at a great discount. We started working on plans. We started raising funds through above and beyond. And God did some incredible things in the life of our church And um, then inflation happened in the past 12 months and we are not able to build because of the costs, but we have found a place for us. Um, We have signed a five-year lease with an option to purchase it. Um, There's a chance that we might be able to uh, sell our land or trade it with the owner of this or eventually build on it. We don't know, we're keeping it um, and trying to pay off the debt on it um, to give us another option. But I wanted to show you the building um, I just got just a couple slides. This has been a lot of things. It was a bingo hall. It was a catfish restaurant. Um, it was a baseball practice field. Uh, several other things in its in its history. Um, I think I got one more slide. Maybe a couple from the inside. Uh, you can see this is where the the baseball happened before, and then uh, there's another room in there, and then a couple architectural drawings that Dave Deloach did for me. Thanks, Dave. Um, uh, This is uh, just, yeah, what it might look like, what we're envisioning we could do for um, as minimal cost as possible to get in this space. So um, that's that. Uh, You will have a chance to see it next Sunday night. Next Sunday night, we are having team night there. So yes, awesome. There we go. Let me just also say too, um, there's a lot of steps between now and there. We're hoping to be in there sometime in the spring. I would love to be in there right around Easter, right after Easter. Uh, we've got to raise some more money for furniture furnitures and fixtures, and uh, we're using all, a lot of the money we've already raised to rehab the place. And uh, so there's there's a lot, and I'll give you all those um, all those details that uh, that are to come. But but I do want us to uh, I want us to pray um, that God would order our steps, and we would willingly hear His voice on every step of the way. Um, I'm talking to the that we find the right subs to do the work that uh, we make the right decisions that we 're able to raise uh, the right funds in order to get us in this next space i 'm excited about it, um, but I also want to remind us um, as much as we 'll be working to prepare a building that we 're preparing our hearts that God would use us in this next season because god doesn 't god doesn 't need a building when he called the people out of uh, out of Egypt and rescued them through Moses there there was no building and for a long time there was no building and then he finally built the tabernacle that he would dwell in and then eventually a temple and then Jesus would tell us that we don't actually need a temple to go worship because we become the temple and the Holy Spirit resides in us. I also want to temper your expectations for next week uh when you show up at this place um it's going to look a little bit like a bingo hall and a catfish restaurant and uh and uh, everything else it's been it's going to be weird we've done literally nothing to it uh chaz uh and his uh, mc has volunteered to go clean it this week so uh yeah kudos to them and you know they're going to clean it mostly if you if you see a booger on a wall or something just go ahead and wipe that thing off man this is uh you know we'll we'll all do our part so yeah, we're, we are all in for sure. Um, let's jump into a sermon today. This is really part two of last week. Uh, we talked about uh, worship. We're in this all in series. As the Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi and Philippians, uh, one that we are striving together side by side for the sake of the gospel. This picture of us all doing it together. And we've talked about a litany of things. Last week we talked about everyone worships. And I even confess that I wish I would have done that first because everything really does come from a heart of worship. Everyone is a worshiper, either of God or something else. We are experts at worship. I, as your pastor, I don't need to help you worship today. You've been doing that since you were born. My hope today is to help you see that Jesus is the only one worthy of your worship. I want to help you see him more clearly today. To use Matt Redman's quote, Worship is seeing then singing. Today we're talking about singing. Everybody sings. Of course, it's more than just singing because true worship is at the heart of every Christian endeavor. Last week, uh, again, I reminded you that worship is the soil in which all meaningful Christian endeavors grow. Evangelism should begin in worship, teaching and preaching and worship, prayer and generosity and serving and discipleship and on and on. We could go missions and confession. Everything we've talked about should grow from the soil of worshiping the true King. Without worship, we're just doing religious activity. Worship is the motivation that turns these tasks into a demonstration out of the over, overflow of the love of God. Again, the Apostle Paul would say to the church at Corinth that it's the love of God that compels us. This is a heart of true worship. And when we see him rightly, our natural response should be to return blessing to him and to obey what, we, what he tells us to do. That we would see him and then sing to him. Now I've pastored and preached at this church for twelve years and was in ministry another decade before then. At least five hundred sermons I've probably preached at Covenant Church. Never once have I preached an entire sermon about singing. And at the beginning, I thought, "Man, this might be a stretch. Can I feel? Can I feel forty-five minutes?" And the answer is yes. I can definitely do it because as I studied. Singing is is part of our response to God. It is literally everywhere of people singing back to the Lord. Have you ever wondered why songs and singing are so much part of our lives? How certain notes and melodies can move us emotionally, make us nostalgic? How it can change the mood in a restaurant or in your home even? I remember when Panera first came here on Airline Drive, and Jason and I, we worked at that place. I mean, that was the office. We worked it there. But it never really caught on, and I think the reason it didn't catch on is because you're in Panera, but they're playing bro country. And it just felt weird. It just like, you know, I don't know if I need to be listening to this while I'm eating a bagel. It just felt weird. It's just, it didn't go there. The words of songs mean less to us if I quoted them, more to us if we sang them. Or you heard the chords. I could read the, the lyrics to Sweet Caroline to you. Then it would be like, oh, that's okay. But then those first few notes, and we all join in, right, and singing together. You ever wondered why singing was such a part of the Christian faith? In the Christmas passages alone, we sing Zachariah sing a song and Mary sings a song. The angels sing a song and Simeon does this kind of rap thing. More than 200 times in the Bible do we see the people of God singing songs. Over 185 of them are explicitly referenced to songs with music. Like it's not just a poem, it's like, hey, sing this all together and there's the song. The first one was when Adam and Eve were created, or when Eve was created rather, and Adam responds. And this is one of those that may be in the gray area. He comes out with this poem that I think he sang because this was the natural melody of our heart. The first defining one that says this is a song that they sang together was sang after the people of uh, Israel crossed through in the Red Sea. It was, a, uh, where it was a victory song of Moses about the strength of God, the song of Moses. It's interesting, too, if you go all the way to Revelation 15, the very last song in the Bible, sang by those who overcame, was also a song of Moses. It was a victory song of Moses, very similar, different words, but very similar. Of the 185, 150 are in the book of Psalms that we read and refer to that Sam read earlier. It was literally the Hebrew song book written over a few hundred years. We looked at one of those last week in Psalms 148. It's amazing that there's an entire book, more than just a book. There's at least three books of the Bible that are just the hymn book of God's people. Of all the things that could be put in the canon of scripture, of all the things, God says, I want you to make sure that these are in there because my people are a singing people. Some of these are songs of celebration from a heart of thanksgiving. Some are songs of lament. Most all of them are didactic in a sense, meaning that, that they're there to teach us something. Maybe like we've put our alphabet to a jingle or our national anthem. It's, it's a song that we sing, but it's also a song that contains a lot of uh, valuable information that we're trying to pass on. They're didactic. They teach us something. Most of the psalms express a frustration or a love or a longing and emanate really from a heart of worship. No matter if it's a season of uh, victory or a season of defeat. God's people have been a singing people. Augustine used to say, when you sing, you pray twice. Once with your mind and once with your heart. People sing at all times in their lives. We see this of God's people. People sing when they were in overwhelming difficulty. You remember Paul and Silas are in stocks and in prison. And what do they do? They sing joyous songs to God. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed and start the mock trial, moments before the trials would begin, he left the upper room with his disciples and they sang together, as was their custom, the great Hillel. The Israelites, just a quick overview of some of these songs. We don't have time to do all of them. I, I had such a joy reading them this week reading the songs of God's people. I can send you a reference to them. Uh, If you just take out Psalms altogether, there's at least 35 of God's people singing songs back to him. The Israelites became like this, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of musicals. Like I just don't like them. I don't like to watch them on TV. I definitely don't like to go to New York and pay thousands of dollars to see one or $10 to see one. I I I just don't get it, you know. Everybody just singing all the time. But the Israelites were like a musical. I mean, they would just be in this thing, and they would just begin to well up with song, and they would sing. They broke into a musical, when they would find water. We used to sing this in vacation Bible school, Spring Up, Oh Well. You remember this? Joshua becomes a choir director after they enter the promised land. I think I have this one up there, maybe. The Rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are just, the God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he and Joshua became the choir leader and he would lead the Israelites in singing this and singing this refrain over and over and over. The young women began to sing about how great David was and how many thousands that he had killed in battle. David sings so many songs, but one of note is a song of laments when Josh, uh, Jonathan is killed in battle. Jehoshaphat, which is such a cool name, sings uh, maybe the most interesting place to sing. King Jehoshaphat is outnumbered by his enemies. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. And he pleads, to God with, uh, pleads with God for help. And a man of the tribe of Levi, Levi brings Jehoshaphat a message from God in 2 Chronicles 20. Do not fear or be dismayed, he says, because of his, this great multitude against you, for the battle is not yours but God's. And some of us have maybe received messages like that and they're encouraging to us, but what this is not just like hope for the best kind of thing. Look at what the, he's instructed to do next. So when they go to battle the next day, God's promised that he's gonna win. It's gonna be the Lord's battle. And they put on the front lines, not soldiers, not Navy SEALs, but the singers. And the singers go out and cry out. And this is the song, this is their weapon. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Isn't that amazing? Better than a sword or a bow. The Lord ambushes Jehoshaphat's armies and saves his people again. And they continue singing. What a song. Can you imagine those that are on that battlefield retelling that story to their kids and grandkids? And they sing the song to them. Solomon records several albums of love songs on Song of Solomon. Literally, they're the songs of Solomon. It's romantic, talks about goats and things in there a lot. Over a thousand love songs between a man and his love, and a wedding, and a wedding night. The third largest collection of songs in the Bible is in Lamentations, and they're not happy songs. They're songs of laments, lamenting over the fall of Jerusalem. One of my favorite songs of all time, and I mentioned this uh, last week, is found in Habakkuk. It's actually the last song in the Old Testament after God warns of the upcoming consequences for the behavior of the people. And he says all these things, and Habakkuk says this little prayer. And then he ends with this song. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. It was a song, a prayer put to music and sang by the people. See, singing is part of our history. God wired us to sing. Psalms 149 commands us to sing. And to sing not just when you're in the car, but when you're in the assemblies of the people of God. He says in Psalms 149, Sing to the Lord a new song. More than five times in Psalms, we are admonished to sing in the congregation. So yeah, keep singing in the car and sing in the shower and sing as a family. But there should be something so unique when the people of God come together that we become a singing people. The Psalm that. Sam read, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with teaching. No, with singing. We come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. He made us and we are his. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. We're to enter the gates with thanksgiving and his courts. Again, here's the the word for singing. The word praise. This is worship through song. We should give thanks to him and bless his name. Another phrase talking about singing to the Lord. We should bless his name for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, if you've ever heard me sing, you might debate whether I'm making a joyful noise or not. Sometimes I think it sounds more like a goat getting caught in an electric fence, what I do down there. But most times it does come from a heart of joy. I love praise and worship music. I'm glad Christians are writing more and more songs, and radio stations popping up carrying Christian music that actually sounds good. I have multiple playlists on my streaming devices, and Claire and I take her to school every morning, and we 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 rotate through this. What are you what are you feeling today, Dad? And we're gonna we're gonna start our day getting getting our praise on. I've been doing that for a quick minute, though. I mean, for some of you who remember Napster, I was downloading I Could Sing of Your Love on Napster. I don't know how holy that is, stealing someone's music. Thanks, Darlene. If you visit multiple churches, you might find a variety in worship. Songs that's as diverse as the church is. For the remainder of our time, I want to look at why we sing. We talked last week. We sing because God created everything, and that He sustains everything, and that even more than that, that He's the only one worthy of our of our songs and worship. Back to Him, and and we sing even 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 more because of we, we've seen the we've seen the salvation of God. We we should sing. But then Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians. He tells us a little more about why we sing. If you have it, read that with me in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to him. Would you pray with me quickly as we're going to talk about this text, but I, I want you to ask God to speak to your heart. And as I pray aloud, maybe you would just pray silent. Would you just pray, God, would you speak to me? In John 10, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They listen and they come to me would would you pray that God would speak to you God I thank you for your church Lord, I pray that as we hear from your word that you would begin to make our hearts glad this morning Bring conviction of sin, encouragement for the weary, healing for the sick. Move in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. He starts this passage, and we're jumping right in the middle of it. When we started the church, again, almost 13 years ago, we started here in, uh, in going through the epistle of Ephesians, and it's such a phenomenal little letter He starts in chapter 5 with telling them to be imitators of God, and he lists several things that we're supposed to walk in love just as Jesus did, and he has this list of things. And then he comes to this in in, in, in verse 18, and he's kind of adding it on, and and this is just a brilliant teaching. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. See, there was a belief in their day, that the only way you could really get in touch with the supernatural was to get rid of the flesh. And one way to get rid of the flesh to key into the transcendent was to get drunk or to get wasted or to get high. There were literal bars in the temples with barf buckets that you would go and drink as much as you could until you started, you know, to kind of float a little bit. And they thought that was the moment where you could really understand God and everything that he did and you could offer back your worship. So they would get drunk trying to achieve peace or hear voices or be joyful. And Paul says, listen, that's nonsense. Don't get drunk. That's foolish. He says, don't do that because that's debauchery. This kind of lifestyle of debauchery is one of completely out of control. That's what drunkenness is. It's loss of control. Your body's given over to a substance. And it's not unique to alcohol. It could be gluttony or given over to food or drugs or materialism, given over to something else that causes you to lose control. You are powerless and it begins to take over. You've lost control. This is Paul's argument here against drunkenness alone, the loss of control. It's a perfect setup for where he's getting to. What he really wants to say, don't, don't be drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead. Maybe if you're new, you never heard this, but we serve a God who is three persons and in, in one God, all three equal, but the Son is led by the Father and the Spirit led by the Son. There's this idea of submission within equality. The Holy Spirit, Scripture says, was sent by Jesus to accomplish all that needed to be accomplished in his absence. The Apostle Paul calls him the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit leads us to think and act and talk like Jesus would. The Spirit leads us to and and equips us for all the things that he has sent us to accomplish, to live out his will on earth, that we could live out the prayer of your kingdom, come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and Bozier as it is in heaven, at your job as it is in heaven. How in the world is that going to happen but the, the life of the Spirit of God living through you? The Spirit is leading you and me to act just as Jesus would if he were in my shoes. That's the Spirit's role. We don't have time to talk. Everything the Spirit does is he comforts and guides and leads us to truth. But Scripture is very clear that if you are a child of God in this room, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul here commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that you would let the Holy Spirit control everything. That you would allow the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus to have complete dominion over your life literally to control you. In the same way the drunkard is given over to alcohol, the Christian would be completely given over to the control of the Spirit, that he would have full access to our thoughts and actions, our mind, heart, will, and strength, everything. The point we made last week, that beholding leads to becoming, that attention leads to adoration, that when we focus on letting the Spirit control us, we see our lives begin to look more and more like Jesus. Here, Paul prays that we would be filled with the Spirit, speaking of this ongoing action, That's a prayer that we should pray all the time, that we would continually be filled with the Spirit. It's the prayer and posture every believer in this room should have, that we would be filled with the Spirit. Well, Luke, why do I need to pray that more than once? Don't we have full access to the Spirit? Yes, if you're a believer in this room, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. It says even in uh, Ephesians, Paul says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise for the day of redemption. But when you're filled with the Spirit of God, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, he, you experience His power and His presence in a very real way. We talked about this again last week. When I'm in His presence, all the things, all the bad news and the dreary things, and all the difficulties I'm facing, and all my to-do list, and people who've disappointed me, and all the worries of this life, just seem to just go to the side. And I'm I'm in His presence. I experience His power. I experience his presence in a very real way. But when you're not filled up, your your experience of his power and your experience of his presence is diminished. Maybe you've had days or weeks like that. You ever had one of those days when sin's more tempting than others? You ever had one of those days, if you're all honest, you're just mean all day? Where you're short tempered or apathetic. You ever had one of those days where you can't get your anxiety and under control, or one of those days when you just live fearful? This is a real struggle in the Christian walk. If, if you can think of the Holy Spirit's filling in your in your life like a like a house and. You've invited the Holy Spirit in to come and take residence, and you've given him the tour of the house, and you've opened up every door, even the door to the closet. You've opened up every drawer, even the one where you hide all the, you know, all the junk in the kitchen. they've, They've seen everything. Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me. I want you to have access to everything that I have. This is someone who is filled with the Spirit that your experience of the Spirit's working, of his power, of his presence is very real because you've given him full access to everything. But we live in a fallen world and all the doors of our life have the automatic closings on them. And if we're not careful, those doors will, will slowly begin to shut and we'll force the Holy Spirit out of areas of our life that we don't really want him to fill. Things like our finances and our worship and maybe our week. Things like our relationships and our doubts and frustrations. And we'll relegate him, the Holy Spirit's work, to the foyer. And he's still in us, but he does not have full dominion over our lives because we have forced him out. We've locked him out of every other part. The Bible talks about the ways that we do this. It says that we can actually grieve and quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The chapter before this in chapter four, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul would say, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. That we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He gives us a list. This is how we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we speak falsehood, when we act in unrighteous anger, when we uh, have unforgiveness, when we're not working hard, when we use corrupting talk comes out of our mouth. This verse 31 mentions bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. And malice, it says you gotta get rid of those things because when you start acting in those ways, you are acting in a way contrary from the life of the spirit that's inside of you. And when you act in those ways and you speak falsehoods and you embellish things, you begin to live into the old way of life. It comes back, and when you do that, you're pushing the Holy Spirit into the foyer. Does that make sense? That's how we that's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. Then in First Thessalonians five, it says, Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Meaning when you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart and you tell him no, when you feel it welling up, hey, you need to share the gospel. Hey, in, in, in the time of praise and worship, I need you to raise your hands. I need you to get on your knees. I need you to go, 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 go pray with someone back there. I need you to go restore this relationship. I need you to give this money. I need you to make a priority of whatever it is. You, you know, you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, pushing you. And when we tell him no, We quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We put a wet blanket over the the fire in our heart. Apostle Paul says, don't do that. Because when we do that, we got to keep being filled again. And he understood that this would be part of our life in the fallen world, that we would all do it. That's why we have to keep asking him because we leak everywhere. We got to keep asking him to fill me and fill me and fill me. Instead of being drunk with wine, we need to be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that exactly? And I love that. This verse gives us one way that we're continually filled with the Spirit. I love that Paul does this because I hate the kind of books that you read that just tells you how terrible everything is and they never give you like a solution. Paul gives us the solution. Hey, don't be drunk with wine. Don't give yourself don't give the control of your life and of your heart to other things, whether it be materialism or, 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 or pills. Don't, don't do that, but instead be, be filled with the spirit. Okay, Paul, how look at verse 19. Addressing one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of the lord jesus submitting to one another to reverence to christ and he mentioned several things here but to put simply he says be filled with the spirit by singing he could have put anything there he could have said you know be continually filled with the spirit by sitting under incredible teaching and Acts talks about that that they they they, they submitted to the apostles teaching every day that's just that, that you could be filled with the Spirit by giving. Maybe he could have said that, but he didn't say that. He said, he said singing. To be filled with the Spirit, you have to actively participate in corporate worship through singing. I've got two points in this passage, really. One is that worship through singing has a spiritual impact horizontally. Look at the text again. Addressing Who? is when you talk back addressing who one another not the priests not the worship leaders not the pastors not the staff not even god here but we we're going to be filled with the spirit when we worship through singing addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song. He's talking about corporate worship through singing. One of the primary ways that you and I can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit of God is by participating in corporate worship through song. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen that there? I can definitely say that this has been so true in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a Sunday discouraged, beat up, had a terrible week, living in fear, confused about what the next steps are, doubting God, if he's even hearing my prayers, if if I'm real, if I can be honest. And I've come down here and sit on this little second row and we start singing. And at first I'm like, ugh, you know, singing. I don't wanna sing. Let's just get this singing part over so we can get the preaching part over so I can go home and take a nap, right? You're going to think less of me, aren't you? Because I thought that. Then we get through the first song and my heart starts to kind of wake up a little bit, kind of come alive. You know, little beams of light kind of poking through the clouds. And then if you've ever seen our liturgy, this is how we do it. We have a call to worship and then someone gets up and gives us a little encouragement from scripture. This morning, Jamie did that out of, uh, you know, to have mustard seed kind of faith. Look. Clouds kind of start parting a little bit more. And then we sing another song. and Then I start to pipe up a little bit. And I, I join in the chorus of the saints. And slowly, I'm being filled again with the Spirit. Listen, I'm a professional Christian. This is my job. My job is to get up here and talk for God. And if I know that I have days where I walk in so defeated and so discouraged, and yet the singing of God's people is what does it, I know you need that. Listen, when I come hard on you about making worship gathering a priority, this is the reason. It's because I have a thousand friends who went from attending the corporate gathering four times a month to three times a month to two times a month to once a month and then I don't see him for months and I bump into him in a Target. This happened to me in a restaurant just a couple uh, months ago and I saw a guy used to be here and he was on the front row in the setup team and we were worshiping God together. I was like, man, what's going on? He's like, "Look, my life's just falling apart. My my wife left me. My kids hate me. I don't know what I'm doing with my faith. I was like, man, what happened? He said, I don't know just slowly drifted away I don't come at you to make this a priority because I, I just want to pad the numbers because I enjoy you, you listening to me I know you don't enjoy listening to me you can take that up with God you don't go to the Methodist church where they replace pastors every couple years you know me and Jason we watch you got this is what you got I know that I need to gather with the people of God and I need to sing the songs of God's greatness and his power and his love and slowly I'm going to be filled up. I remember after my dad died. If I ever had an excuse not to show up, that was the week. That was the week I had to be here because I had to sit up here and I had to have the songs of the people of God sing over me. Does that make sense? This is why it's, we were addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You say, well, Luke, sometimes I don't feel like singing. Well, great, sing a sacrifice of praise because it's not about what you need. Sometimes it's the people around you who barely limped in here this week, and they need to hear you lift your voice to God. This is why we have the kids in here in the beginning. So they can see mom and dad worship the Lord. They can see dad submit to a higher authority. They can see dad get passionate about something other than football and other than business and other than hunting. They can see dad filled with tears, with a heart of gratitude, pouring their life out to the one who rescued them from everything. Does that make sense? I remember when our good friend, Sarah Skaggs, she was at another church that we were at, Sarah and Brandon, and they had a baby that was going to be stillborn, and they knew it. The baby actually was going to live, I've told you this story, just a month. I mean, just a, few, just a few moments, the baby. At the most, they said, You'll have four minutes with your baby. The baby was born, and we were fasting and praying, and the baby was born. And just like they said, lasted just little Elliot, just, just lived on earth for a few moments, and then he passed, and we went to a funeral. And they sat in the second row and they sang that song from Job. You remember the song, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away, Lord, blessed be your name. And they sang that song, not just under their breath with both hands lifted high to heaven. And we sang it with them, friends. You need this, and the people around you need this. They need to hear you sing the songs of God's greatness, whether you're killing it this week or you're having the worst week of your life. In the times when my heart has drifted from the Lord, this has happened to me many times in my 30-year walk with him. You know, when you're at the beach, and you don't even know you're drifting, and then all of a sudden you look up, and you're like, Somehow we ended up in Mexico. How did this happen? I don't know how this happened. Either through sin or disobedience or apathy, times that I was mad and frustrated with God, and always in God's faithfulness, I would show back up to a worship service, maybe out of obligation, or so people wouldn't think less of me, whatever the reason. But while I was there, Something would break loose in my heart. The walls would come down. The difficulty, the apathy, my idols, and bitterness that would just seem to melt away, and I was filled with the Spirit again. Reminds me of Psalm seventy-three. You remember the Psalm of Asaph? He's a a worship leader. Many of the psalms come from him. Likely he's on vacation, and he's on vacation, and he starts out saying, "My foot almost slipped." He goes in to say how he began to envy all the, all, all the influencers of his day. He was envious of those who weren't walking with God, the arrogant, the wicked. Their life seemed perfect. They had this Instagram-worthy life. And here I am trying to do the, the, the things of God in my life. Just nothing is working. Setback after setback. And this is how the psalm starts. This is a song that the people of God would sing because that's a real feeling. Because sometimes we have that feeling. And then there's this phrase, I think it's on the screen, until I went into the sanctuary of God. I love this. Proximity brought perspective. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. The song ends with maybe a phrase that you've heard before. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But for me, he says, the psalmist says, it is good to be near God. For I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So friends, when we come together, come and sing loud. I remember going to a Promise Keepers. Anybody ever remember Promise Keepers? It was like a thing back in the 90s. And they had these shirts, the promise keepers, all these men, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 men would show up. And they had this, their shirt one year was real men sing real loud. I wish I had that shirt on right now. Whether it sounds like a dying goat or not. Why? Because someone next to you is walking through cancer and another's grieving the loss of a friend, and another's walking through extreme financial difficulty. Some others lost a job. Some are walking through just the most difficult marriage. Some are depressed, and others discouraged. People are struggling. And one of the greatest things you can do is sing the promises of God next to them. Over them. Can I tell you what I've learned when I don't want to be here the most? is when I need to be here the most. When Satan comes at me and all my kids wake up with stomach aches and snotty noses, when I wake up and I'm mad at my wife and I'm mad at God and I got a flat tire and my hot water blew up, when all the things the enemy does, because he wants to keep me from being filled with the spirit and he knows if he can keep me from gathering with the people of God, there's a good chance I'm gonna walk in this funk for another week and another week and I'm gonna drift, 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 drift. Maybe you say, but look, I'm just not into that worship, and that may be true. But the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God tells us for the sake of everyone else around you to sing. That's the horizontal aspect. There's also a vertical aspect. Look at it in the text again. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then another part, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart the vertical aspect, to the Lord, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That you're coming face to face with almighty God, where you encounter him personally and he begins to reorient your heart through singing. This is why we tell you this is not a concert where you just stand and watch. This is not just something to fill the time before the sermon when we sing, it's not just to give you the warm fuzzies. No, this is about singing to the Lord from the heart. This is an offering that we're bringing to the Lord. And when you do it, you start getting filled up with the spirit of God. Now this, especially if it goes hand in hand in my time with the word, early in the mornings normally, really fill me up there's just something about that moment this is why the early church often sang most of their songs after the preaching they wanted to hear the word of God proclaimed and then they wanted to sing the word of God together can we be honest you ever limp in here not filled with the Holy Spirit Kids up all night sick, something going wrong at work, someone is spreading rumors about you, maybe you failed miserably this week. Any of you ever married couples ever got in a fight on the way to church? Anybody? No? Literally, this has happened to me one time that they didn't know that I was walking and there was a family. This is a long time ago. These people don't go here anymore. But I heard from the doors of the minivan, be quiet or the pastor's gonna hear us cussing each other. And I was like, well, you know, okay. Lord, deliver them, you know. Your kids ever been turds on Sunday mornings? And just did everything they could, and then you you spilled the coffee on on your blouse or on your pants, and you, then you, you you couldn't get you, you ever had days like that. You, you ever walked into church not filled with the Holy Spirit? I have. I've often walked into the worship service not filled with the Spirit, but I don't know if I've ever walked out not filled with the Spirit. See, corporate worship reorients us so we begin to understand his favor towards us and our place in the kingdom. It reminds us of who our soul belongs to. Paul adds a couple things to the end of this It's it's a horizontal thing, it's a vertical thing. But then he says, with gratitude. The true worship starts with gratitude. He adds two qualifiers on the end of that. Giving thanks always and for everything to God. Giving thanks when? Always. When you had a rough week, yeah, always. When your kids are acting like turds, always. When your spouse isn't acting like how they're supposed to act, always. Giving thanks always, giving thanks always on the weeks that you lost the job, on the week that God didn't answer the prayer you didn't want to, on the week that someone treated you wrongly, on the weeks, uh, on just the worst of the weeks. Giving thanks always. And for what? Everything. To whom? To God. just something about gratitude the so psalm says that we enter his courts with thanksgiving we get our focus off the stuff around us and onto the one who made the stuff off the creation and onto the creator off the people and problems and on to the one who is faithful and when we do that and we begin to proclaim that with our voices to a melody with the people of God something in us begins to lift Listen, God deserves my worship if he never did one kind thing towards me. He is God and he is worthy of it all. But just to put the cherry on the top, I love to sing about the goodness of God. I love that song. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. When we begin to sing that and we begin to be filled with the spirit together, man, I just get so weepy. You know, we're not a church that's afraid to weep a little bit at least your leaders are not. How he leads me beside still waters, how he restores my soul, how he meets my every need, how he's my rock and my refuge and my redeemer, how he himself bore my sins on the cross, how he himself was condemned so I could be accepted. Sometimes when I sing that, I just get a little overwhelmed at the goodness of God. One of the last songs in the New Testament is in Revelation. I told you Revelation 15, the ones that endured. But there's one before that in Revelation 5. I love this in the book of Revelation. John's writing this as he's looking into the future. And he's seeing some things that this is the way the world is going to go. And in verse 9, there of Revelation 5. I don't think I have all this on the screen. They're looking for someone, the 24 elders are looking for someone who can can open the scroll. And no one can open it, no one can open it. There's this scroll, this book, bound and shut by seven seals, and no one's worthy enough to open it until the Lamb appears. The Lamb, of course, is representing Jesus throughout the book of Revelation. He alone is able to open the scrolls. And the others in the throne room bow down before the land. And this is so interesting. It says they take up in one hand a harp and in the other hand a bowl of incense. And we're like, well, what's in that bowl of incense? Is that the new fall candle from doxology? No, it's not. What's in the bowl? The prayers of the saints. Isn't this amazing? That the throne of heaven, even now, The incense burning of heaven is the songs of the saints and the prayers of the saints. Isn't that amazing? Friends, you got any prayers in that bowl? Constantly rising as incense before the Lord? See, singing is not what we do before the preaching. And praying is not what we do to make us feel better. No, this is the atmosphere of heaven. Our songs and our prayers literally surround the throne of God, which creates the atmosphere in which God lives. This is the song. So they take up the harps after Jesus steps in and opens the book. This is their song. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. What a song. And then it says, this is not on the screen, verse 11, then I look around the throne and the the living creatures and the elders and the angels are with one voice. It says thousands of thousands are singing this song. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then it keeps going. It's not just, it's, it's not just the elders and it's not just all the heavenly hosts and everything that's in heaven, how glorious that's going to be. But then it says and, in verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them sing. This is the song of creation. Can you imagine the choir that is lifting up the praise to the one who's worthy of it all? To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Can you imagine the song? What does a tree sound like when it sings? Or a large mouth bass? I don't know what they sound like. Or the rocks and the streams and the mountains. What does an angel sound like when they sing? Church, we're going to end with singing today. From the heart. And I want you to sing loudly. You say, well, Luke, I'm just not into worship. Listen, there's coming a day when every living thing is going to bellow out from a heart of gratitude. Somehow, whatever rocks sound like, they're going to sing praises to the Lord. Everything. It's what the psalmist says, everything that has breath, breath, praise the Lord. From the heart, with thanksgiving, whether you need it or not. Now friends, it'd be pastoral malpractice for me not to invite those of you in this room who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord to know him today to sing with real hope, not just going through the motions, to be radically changed from the inside out. We're gonna end with communion, just as Jesus did in that upper room as he took the bread and the cup, They partook of it and then they left singing these great hymns of the faith. Would you pray we'll just right where you're at and get alone with God? And we're gonna sing here in a minute. We're gonna sing a couple songs. Our communion servers, you can go ahead and come. What's, friends, what's keeping you from worshiping the Lord? Is it sin or doubt or confusion or frustration? Is it you just think too highly of yourself as a pride? Maybe you believe some lie of the enemy a long time ago that we're too, we're too polished and too educated to lift our voices to the Lord. God, I love you. I thank you for your people. Lord, would you do something in our hearts would we would return to our first love again, that we just couldn't wait to show up in here and sing these great anthems of the faith. Not just because we love the songs, but because we love you, because you're the one that's worthy of it all, that you created everything and are sustaining everything that your goodness to us is so familiar. As we look back over our life, as you showed up in every time, even through the difficulty and the dark times that you've been with us and you've been there for us. And I pray today as we sing that we would lift our heads off the problems and to the one to whom nothing is impossible. That we would foreshadow this great choir of heaven. And, Lord, I can't wait to be in that number one day, singing my part. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. Our communion service are here. We're going to sing a couple songs today. So if you're in a hurry, you need to leave, take off when you need to.